This is a Peace Talks radio special. John Lewis, Profile in Peace. I'm Paul Ingalls, producer of the Peace Talks radio series and podcast on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. We often spotlight the stories of peacemaking greats in our series. When United States Congressman from Georgia, John Lewis, passed away July 17, 2020, from pancreatic cancer at the age of 80, his nearly lifelong devotion to the cause of social justice and peace and to the technique of nonviolent protest, what he called good trouble, came into the spotlight once again. John Lewis was called into the civil rights movement led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when Lewis was just a teenager in the late 1950s. He became Dr. King's youngest inner circle associate, riding the freedom buses, chairing the Southern Nonviolent Coordinating Committee for three years, speaking on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial at the historic March on Washington in 1963, just moments before Dr. King's landmark I Have a Dream speech. And in 1965, John Lewis was beaten and bloodied while leading the first attempt at a voting rights march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, the state of his birth. On July 27, 2020, as I sat alone in my house in the middle of the day, in the midst of the global pandemic, I was watching the memorial ceremonies welcoming the flag-draped casket of John Lewis to lie in state in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Before long, tears were rolling down my face from listening to the tributes, the music, and John Lewis's own recorded stirring words. I thought, well, many won't have had the time to witness this in full, so we offer the Peace Talks platform to it today, along with other tributes, interview and speech excerpts, in hopes of reaching a few more ears and hearts as we strive to fulfill our own mandate at Peace Talks Radio to inform, inspire, and improve the human condition, which plainly summarizes the purpose of the life of John Lewis, honored in the Capitol Rotunda that particular July 27, 2020. Lewis's flag-draped casket was surrounded by concentric circles of chairs for his family and fellow members of Congress from both sides of the partisan divide to sit in, all there in solidarity to honor the life of their departed colleague. It all began with welcoming remarks from Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. It is an official, personal, and very sad honor to welcome our colleague John Lewis back to the Capitol to welcome his family and his many friends to acknowledge his sacred life. Please say standing for the invocation by Reverend Dr. Granger Browning, Jr., Ebenezer AME Church. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, I come before you today in the name of Jesus, thanking you for the many different faiths and beliefs and religions that make up your beloved community that come to celebrate the life and the legacy of John Lewis. We come today thanking you for the faith foundations that his mother and father established in Troy, Alabama. We thank you for his leadership of SNCC and the March on Washington. We thank you for how he was bloodied for us, bruised for us, he marched for us, sat in for us, and was willing to give up his life that we might have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And on today, as his colleagues and friends and especially family members come as he lays in state in this hallowed rotunda, 
we come on this day recommitting ourselves to march as he marched to ballot boxes and to this year for mailboxes and for voting rights and for civil rights and for human rights. And we'll keep doing that until that day justice rolls down like mighty waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And finally, on July 17th, we want to say thank you that he crossed another bridge, not the Edmund Pettus Bridge that we pray that one day will be named the John Lewis Memorial Bridge, but the bridge from earth to glory. And when he got there, Elijah Cummings and the congressional cloud of witnesses welcomed them home as they marched down that street paved of gold. We want to say thank you from Emmett Till uh, to George Floyd, said thank you for allowing our deaths not to be in vain. And when he got to the lily white throne, we want to say thank you. He heard you say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have done the good fight and you have uh, kept your eyes on the prize and now enter into the joy of the Lord. And after you said that, Gabriel told the angels to lift every voice and sing. And we heard Dr. King in the background saying, free at last, free at last. The consciousness of Congress is free at last. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Honorable Mitch McConnell, Majority Leader of the United States Senate. Please be seated. In his memoirs, John Lewis described a childhood home that was quite different from the place he lies today. That farmhouse in Pike County, Alabama had no running water or electricity. It stood on the first land his father's family had ever owned in a part of the country where segregation had led to almost total isolation along racial lines. It would have been hard to conceive back then that the young child tending his family's chickens would, by age 23, be leading the movement to redeem American society. That he'd be addressing hundreds of thousands of civil rights marchers from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. I was lucky enough to be there that day I marveled at the massive crowds. The sight gave me hope for our country. That was John's doing. Even on that day, as his voice echoed across the mall, I wonder how many dared imagine that young man would come to walk the halls of the Congress. America's original sin of slavery was allowed to fester for far too long. It left a long wake of pain, violence, and brokenness that has taken great efforts from great heroes to address. John's friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. But that is never automatic. History only bent toward what's right because people like John paid the price to help bend it. He paid that price at every Nashville lunch counter where his leadership made segregation impossible to ignore. He paid it in every jail cell where he waited out hatred and oppression. He paid that price in harassment and beatings from a bus station in South Carolina to the Edmund Pettus Bridge. John Lewis lived and worked with urgency, because the task was urgent. 
But even though the world around him gave him every cause for bitterness, he stubbornly treated everyone with respect and love. All so that, as his friend Dr. King once put it, we could build a community at peace with itself. Today, we pray and trust that this peacemaker himself now rests in peace. All of John's colleagues stand with his son, John Miles, their family, and the entire country in thanking God that he gave our nation this hero it needed so badly. May all of us that he will leave behind under this dome pray for a fraction of John's strength to keep bending that arc on toward justice. Ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. To the family of John Lewis, welcome to the rotunda. Under the dome of the U.S. Capitol, we have bid farewell to some of the greatest Americans in our history. It is fitting that John Lewis joins this pantheon of patriots resting upon the same catafalque of President Abraham Lincoln. John revered President Lincoln. His identification with Lincoln was clear 57 years ago at the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial where John declared, our minds, souls, and hearts cannot rest until freedom and justice exist for all people. Words that ring true today. Mr. Leader, I too was there that day. Our student years. Between then and now, John Lewis became a titan of the civil rights movement and then the conscience of the Congress. Here in Congress, John was revered and beloved on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the Capitol. We knew that he always worked on the side of the angels, and now we know that he is with them. And we are comforted to know that he is with his beloved Lillian. And may it be a comfort to John's son, John Miles, and the entire Lewis family, Michael Collins, the entire staff, that so many mourn their loss and are praying for them at this sad time. God truly blessed America with the life and leadership of John Lewis. We thank you for sharing him with us. May he rest in peace. John Lewis often spoke of a beloved community, a vision that he shared with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., of the community connected and uplifted by faith, hope, and charity. And indeed, John had deep faith, believing that every person has a spark of divinity, making them worthy of respect. And he had faith in the charity of others, which is what gave him so much hope. As he wrote in his book, Release the need to hate, to harbor division, and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing the battle for good to overcome evil is already won. John the Optimist. Through it all, John was a person of greatness. He also was a person of great humility, always giving credit to others in the movement. John committed his life to advancing justice and understood that to build a, a better future, we had to acknowledge the past. 
Exactly one year ago, it was a privilege to be with John and members of the Congressional Black Caucus, Madam Chair, Karen Bass, on a pilgrimage to Ghana to observe 400 years since the arrival of the first slaves from Africa. Some of the descendants of those slaves would build this capital, where John Nye lies in state on the Lincoln catafalque. I wish you could have seen the uh, response that John received when he was introduced to the Ghana parliament. My colleagues are shaking their heads. It was overwhelmingly, overwhelming. But I wish you could have seen him at the door of no return, which enslaved people were sent through onto the uh, death ships to cross the Atlantic. I wish you could have seen what it meant to him. He knew that the door of no return was a central part of American history, just as is the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the March on Washington, the Selma March to Montgomery Arm. When John made his speech 57 years ago, he was the youngest speaker at the March on Washington program. How fitting it is that in the final days of his life, he summoned the strength to acknowledge the young people peacefully protesting and in the same spirit of that march, taking up the unfinished work of racial justice, helping complete the journey begun more than 55 years ago. We have all seen the photographs of John being brutally beaten in Selma, which painted an iconic picture of injustice. What a beautiful contrast to see John and the mayor of Washington is with us today at the Black Lives Matter Plaza, standing in solidarity with the protesters, an iconic picture of justice that will endure and will inspire a nation for years to come. John firmly focused on the future, on how to inspire the next generation to join the fight for justice, and his quote, to find a way to get in the way. As one of the youngest leaders of the Freedom Rides, March on Washington, as I said, and March to Montgomery, he understood the power of young people to change the future. When asked what someone can do who is 19 or 20 years old, the age that he was when he set out to desegregate Nashville, Lewis replied, a young person should be speaking out for what is fair, what is just, what is right. Speak out for those who have been left out and left behind. That is how the movement goes forward, John said. Imagine the great joy he had traveling the country to share that message of action with young people. No need to imagine. It is my personal privilege right now for me to yield to our beloved colleague, the distinguished gentleman from Georgia, Congressman John Lewis. I grew up in rural Alabama, 50 miles from Montgomery, outside of a little place called Troy. My father was a sharecropper, a tenant farmer. But back in 1944, when I was only four years old, my father had saved $300. And with the $300, he bought 110 acres of land. My family still on that land today. How many of you remember when you were four? <laughs> What happened to the rest of us? It was many, many years ago when we would visit the little town of Troy, visit Montgomery, visit Tuskegee, visit Birmingham, 
I saw those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. I would come home and ask my mother, my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, why? And they would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way. Don't get in trouble. But one day in 1955, 15 years old, in the 10th grade, I heard about Rosa Parks. I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on our radio. 1957, I met Rosa Parks at the age of 17. In 1958, at the age of 18, I met Martin Luther King Jr. And these two individuals inspired me to get in the way, to get in trouble. So I come here to say to you this morning, on this beautiful campus, with your great education, you must find a way to get in the way. You must find a way to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. Use your education. You have wonderful teachers, wonderful professors, researchers. Use what you have. Use your learning. Use your tools to help make our country and make our world a better place where no one will be left out or left behind. You can do it, and you must do it. It is your time. In a few short days, we will commemorate what we call the Mississippi Summer Project. But more than a thousand students from all over America, many from abroad, made a trip to Mississippi to encourage people to register to vote. And the summer night of June 21st, 1964, three young men that I knew, two whites and one African-American, Nicholas Werner, Andy Goodman and James Shaney went out to investigate the burning of an African-American church that was used for voter registration workshop. These three young men were detained by the sheriff, taken to jail, taken out of jail, turned over to the Klan, where they were beaten, shot, and killed. And I tell students today, these three young men didn't die in Vietnam. They didn't die in the Middle East or Eastern Europe. They didn't die in Africa or Central or South America. They died right here in our own country, trying to help all of our citizens become participants in the democratic process. As young people, you must understand that there are forces that want to take us back to another period. But you must say that we're not going back. We made too much progress, and we're going forward. There may be some setbacks, some delays, some disappointment, but you must never, ever give up or give in. You must keep the faith and keep your eyes on the prize. That is your calling. That is your mission. That is your moral obligation. That is your mandate. Get out there and do it. Get in the way. In the final analysis, we all must learn to live together as brothers and sisters. We all live in the same house. And it doesn't matter 
whether we are black or white, Latino, Asian, American, or Native American. It doesn't matter whether we are straight or gay. We are one people. We are one family. We all live in the same house. Be bold. Be courageous. Stand up. Speak up. Speak up. And find a way to create the beloved community, the beloved world, a world of peace, a world that recognizes the dignity of all humankind. Never become bitter, never become hostile, never hate, live in peace. We are one, one people and one love. Thank you very much. The recorded remarks of John Lewis from an Emory University commencement address from a few years earlier. The recorded applause from that crowd gave way to an extended standing ovation from the crowd of friends and colleagues encircling John Lewis's flag-draped casket resting in the center of the U.S. Capitol Rotunda July 27, 2020, 10 days after Congressman Lewis died at the age of 80 of pancreatic cancer. You're listening to a Peace Talks radio special, John Lewis, A Profile in Peace. I'm Paul Ingalls.
Gospel singer Whitley Phipps. Shortly thereafter, the John Lewis Memorial was closed by Majority Whip of the House of Representatives, James T. Clyburn of South Carolina. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. In 2011, nine years before John Lewis's 2020 passing, in a ceremony at the White House, President Barack Obama awarded John Lewis the Medal of Freedom. There's a quote inscribed over a doorway in Nashville where students first refused to leave lunch counters 51 years ago, this February. And the quote said, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? It's a question John Lewis has been asking his entire life. It's what led him back to the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma after he'd already been beaten within an inch of his life days before. It's why Time and again, he faced down death so that all of us could share equally in the joys of life. That's why all these years later, he is known as the conscience of the United States Congress, still speaking his mind on issues of justice and equality. And generations from now, when parents teach their children what is meant by courage, the story of John Lewis will come to mind. An American who knew that change could not wait for some other person or some other time whose life is a lesson in the fierce urgency of now. From his activism in the civil rights movement to his nearly 25 years in the House of Representatives, John R. Lewis has dedicated his life to shattering barriers and fighting injustice. The son of sharecroppers from Alabama, he rose with courage, fortitude, and purpose to organize the first student sit-ins and the earliest freedom rides. The youngest speaker at the 1963 March on Washington, a fearless advocate and a distinguished member of Congress, John Lewis has earned our lasting gratitude for a lifetime dedicated to the pursuit of equality and justice for all. I feel more than lucky but very blessed. And so I accept this honor on behalf of countless individuals that marched, that stood in those unmovable lines, those that were beaten, those that were killed in the struggle. And I just tried to do my little part in to help create a more perfect union to make our country better. When we award this medal to a Congressman John Lewis, it says that we aspire to be a more just, more equal, more perfect union. President Barack Obama and comments from John Lewis 
on the occasion of Lewis being awarded the Medal of Freedom in 2011. You're listening to a Peace Talks radio special, John Lewis, Profile in Peace. More in a moment when our program continues after this break. You're listening to a Peace Talks radio special, John Lewis, Profile in Peace. I'm Paul Ingalls. Peace Talks radio is the nonprofit radio series and podcast about peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. With all of our episodes dating back to 2002, downloadable from iTunes or from our website at peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can also go to support our nonprofit work. Today, we're sharing a program prepared in the days following the July 17, 2020 passing of civil rights leader and 17-term U.S. Congressman representing Georgia, John R. Lewis, a tireless champion for social justice, racial equality, and for nonviolent protest and civil resistance to promote the common good. Today, we're presenting highlights of his career and some of the tributes made to him in the days after his passing. In those days, you may have seen short clips of his speech on the Lincoln Memorial Steps at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom from August 28, 1963. At just 23 at the time, John Lewis was the youngest speaker taking the stage, moments before the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s iconic I Have a Dream speech. Here now, though, John Lewis's complete remarks. I have the pleasure to present to this great audience Young John Lewis, National Chairman, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Brother John Lewis. We march today for jobs and freedom, but we have nothing to be proud of. The hundreds and thousands of our brothers are not here, for they're receiving starvation wages or no wages at all. While we stand here, there are sharecroppers in the Delta of Mississippi who are out in the field working for less than $3 a day, 12 hours a day. While we stand here, there are students in jail on trumped-up charges. Our brother James Farmer, along with many others, is also in jail. We come here today with a great sense of misgiving. It is true that we support the administration's civil rights bill. We support it with great reservation, however. Unless, unless Tile 3 is put in this bill, there's nothing to protect the young children and old women who must face police jobs and fire hoses in the South while they engage in peaceful demonstration. In its present form, 
This bill will not protect the citizen of Danville, Virginia, who must live in constant fear of a police state. It will not protect the hundreds and thousands of people who have been arrested upon Trump charges. What about the three young men, Snickfield's secretary in America's Georgia, who faced a death penalty for engaging in peaceful protests? As it stands now, the voting section of this bill will not help the thousands of black people who want to vote. It will not help the citizens of Mississippi, of Alabama, and Georgia who are qualified to vote but lack a sixth grade education. One man, one vote is the African cry. It is our tool. It must be ours. We must have legislation that will protect the Mississippi sharecropper, who is put off of his farm because he dared to register to vote. We need a bill that will provide for the homeless and starving people of this nation. We need a bill that will ensure the equality of a maid who earns $5 a week in the home of a family whose income is $100,000 a year. We must have a good FEPC bill. My friends, let us not forget that we are involved in a serious social revolution. But by and large, American politics is dominated by politicians who build their career on immoral compromises and ally themselves with open forms of political, economic, and social exploitation. There are exceptions, of course. We salute those. But what political leader can stand up and say, my party is the party of principles? For the party of Kennedy is also the party of Eastland. The party of Javis is also the party of Goldwater. Where is our party? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march on Washington? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march in the streets of Birmingham? Where is the political party that will protect the citizens of Albany, Georgia? Do you know that in Albany, Georgia, nine of our leaders have been indicted, not by the Dixocrats, but by the federal government for peaceful protests? But what did the federal government do when Albany deputy sheriff beat Attorney C.B. King and left him half dead? What did the federal government do when local police officials kicked and assaulted the pregnant wife of Slater King and she lost her baby? Those who have said be patient and wait, we must say that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. Get in and stay in the streets of every city 
Every village and hamlet of this nation until true freedom comes, until the revolution of 1776 is complete. We must get in this revolution and complete the revolution. For in the Delta of Mississippi, in Southwest Georgia, in the Black Belt of Alabama, in Harlem, in Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, and all over this nation, the black masses are on the march for jobs and freedom. talking about slow down and stop. We will not stop. All of the forces of Eastland, Barnett, Wallace, and Thurman will not stop this revolution. If we do not get meaningful legislation out of this Congress, the time will come when we will not confine our march into Washington. We will march through the South, through the streets of Jackson, through the streets of Danville, through the streets of Cambridge, through the streets of Birmingham. But we will march with the spirit of love and with the spirit of dignity that we have shown here today. By the forces of our demand, our determination, and our numbers, we shall splinter the segregated South into a thousand pieces and put them together in the image of God and democracy. We must say, wake up, America, wake up, for we cannot stop, and we will not and cannot be patient. 50 years after his speech at the 1963 March on Washington, John Lewis remembered with journalist Bill Moyers on PBS. By marching to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, we were trying to make it plain, not just to politicians, but to the American people. I said to some of my staff, I said it to the people in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, I said it to Dr. King and the people in SCLC from time to time, we have to pace ourselves because our struggle is not a struggle that lasts for one day, or one week, or one month, or one year, or one lifetime. It's an ongoing struggle. I said to some of my colleagues in the, in the Congress, we must take the long, hard look, but also believe in a sense of urgency. When people are hurting, when people are suffering, you must be ready to move. You must be ready to act. How long can people suffer? How long can people starve? And when we make a decision between children and military might, or make a, a, a decision between more bombs, more missiles, more guns, and mothers and children, the poor, the elderly, you cannot be patient. You cannot wait. And being in Washington, being on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, was a great feeling. To, to be standing there in the shadow of Abraham Lincoln, but we have to go back into the heart of Alabama, back to Georgia, back to Mississippi, and back to other parts of America, and to make real the hopes and dreams of a people. But when you did that in the preceding years, you got your head bashed in. Well, that was part of the price we had to pay in order to 
Make it real. Make it plain. Make it simple. Uh, Daddy King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s father, used to say to him over and over again, make it plain, son. Make it plain. Less than 18 months after the March on Washington, John Lewis was point man for efforts to help African Americans exercise their right to vote in the South. In the face of discriminatory practices by Southern states to keep them from voting, the blatant prejudice and bias led to John Lewis's next appointment with destiny, played out in Selma, Alabama, in front of TV film cameras that spread to the nation the violence of the Alabama State Police against their peaceful protest. On the 50th anniversary of what came to be known as Bloody Sunday, John Lewis recalled the lead-up to the historic confrontation for Time magazine. So we stored a series of demonstrations standing in line at the courthouse. One evening, there was a demonstration for the right to vote nearby Selma. Confrontation occurred, and a young man tried to protect his mother. He was shot in the stomach, and a few days later, he died at the local hospital in Selma. We made a decision to attempt to march from Selma to Montgomery to dramatize to the nation and to the world that people of color wanted to register to vote. We start walking. I was one of the leaders of that effort. I was wearing a backpack before it became fashionable to wear backpacks. In this backpack, I had two books. I thought we were gonna be arrested and that we were gonna to go to jail, so I wanted to have something to read in jail. I wanted to have something to eat in that backpack. I had an apple and I had an orange. Since I thought we were gonna be arrested and go to jail, and I'd be in jail with my friends, my colleagues and neighbors, I wanted to be able to brush my teeth. I had toothpaste and toothbrush. We get to the highest point on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, down below we saw a sea of blue, Alabama State Troopers. And we continued to walk. We came within hearing distance of the state troopers. And a man spoke up and said, I'm Major John Cloud of the Alabama State Troopers. This is an unlawful march. It would not be allowed to continue. I give you three minutes to disperse and return to your homes or to your church. And a young man walking beside me by the name of Jose William from Dr. King's organization said, Major, give us a moment to kneel and pray before we can pass word back for people to kneel and pray. The major said, troopers advance. And you saw these men putting on their gas masks. They came toward us, beating us with nightsticks, tramping us with horses, and releasing the tear gas. Was hit in the head by a state trooper with a nightstick. My legs went from under me. I thought I saw death. I thought I was going to die. I thought it was the last nonviolent protest for me. I don't recall how I made it back across that bridge, across the Alabama River, through the streets of Selma, back to that little church. But I do recall being back at the church. It's full to capacity. More than 2,000 people on outside trying to get in to protest what had happened. And someone asked me to say something, and I stood up and said something like, I don't understand it. How President Johnson can send troops to Vietnam and cannot send troops to Selma, Alabama to protect people who only desires to register to vote. 
And the next thing I knew, I'd been admitted to the Good Samaritan Hospital there in Selma, Alabama, with 16 other people. And the next morning, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his colleague, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, came to visit us in the hospital. And Dr. King said, don't worry, we will make it from Selma to Montgomery if we get a voting rights act passed. And he told us that he had urged religious leaders to, to come to Selma. So on Tuesday, March 9th, more than 1,000 ministers, priests, rabbis, and nuns came to Selma. And they marched to the point where we had been beaten two days earlier. That Tuesday night, one of the young ministers went out with two others to find something to eat. And on the way back from the little restaurant, they were attacked by members of the Klan. This young minister, James Reeb, was from Boston. He was so severely beaten, he was taken to the hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, where he died two days later. Um, Selma gave us the voting rights side. The way Birmingham gave us the civil rights act and the march on Washington gave us the civil rights act. Hadn't been for Selma, hadn't been for the march on Washington, we wouldn't be where we are today. And there would be no Barack Obama as president of the United States of America. On the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday in March of 2015, United States President Barack Obama delivered remarks on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. It is a rare honor in this life to follow one of your heroes. And John Lewis is one of my heroes. Now, I have to imagine that when a younger John Lewis woke up that morning 50 years ago and made his way to Brown Chapel, heroics were not on his mind. A day like this was not on his mind. Young folks with bedrolls and backpacks were milling about. Veterans of the movement trained newcomers in the tactics of nonviolence, the right way to protect yourself when attacked. A doctor described what tear gas does to the body, while marchers scribbled down instructions for contacting their loved ones. The air was thick with doubt, anticipation, and fear. And they comforted themselves with the final verse of the final hymn they sung. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Lean, weary one upon his breast, God will take care of you. And then his knapsack stocked with an apple, a toothbrush, and a book on government, all you need for a night behind bars. John Lewis led them out of the church on a mission to change America. As John noted, there are places and moments in America where this nation's destiny has been decided. Many are sites of war. Concord and Lexington, Appomattox, 
Gettysburg. Others are sites that symbolize the daring of America's character. Independence Hall and Seneca Falls, Kitty Hawk and Cape Canaveral. Selma is such a place. In one afternoon 50 years ago, so much of our turbulent history, the stain of slavery and anguish of civil war, the yoke of segregation and tyranny of Jim Crow, the death of four little girls in Birmingham, and the dream of a Baptist preacher, all that history met on this bridge. It was not a clash of armies, but a clash of wills, a contest to determine the true meaning of America. And because of men and women like John Lewis, Joseph Lowry, Hosea Williams, Amelia Bunton, Diane Nash, Ralph Abernathy, C.T. Vivian, Andrew Young, Fred Shuttlesworth, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., so many others, the idea of a just America and a fair America, an inclusive America, and a generous America, that idea ultimately triumphed. Now, as is true across the landscape of American history, we cannot examine this moment in isolation. The March on Selma was part of a broader campaign that spanned generations. The leaders that day part of a long line of heroes. We gather here to celebrate them. We gather here to honor the courage of ordinary Americans willing to endure billy clubs and the chastening rod, tear gas and the trampling hoof, men and women who, despite the gush of blood and splintered bone, would stay true to their North Star and keep marching towards justice. And in the days to come, they went back again and again. When the trumpet call sounded for more to join, the people came, black and white, young and old, Christian and Jew, waving the American flag, singing the same anthems full of faith and hope. We respect the past, but we don't pine for the past. We don't fear the future. We grab for it. America's not some fragile thing. We are large, in the words of Whitman, containing multitudes. We are boisterous and diverse and full of energy, perpetually young in spirit. That's why someone like John Lewis said that ripe old age of 25 could lead a Marty March. And that's what the young people here today and listening all across the country must take away from this day. You are America, unconstrained by habit and convention, unencumbered by what is, because you're ready to seize what ought to be. For everywhere in this country, there are first steps to be taken. There's new ground to cover. 50 years from Bloody Sunday, our march is not yet finished, but we're getting closer. 239 years after this nation's founding, our union is not yet perfect, but we are getting closer. Our job's easier because somebody already got us through that first mile. 
Somebody already got us over that bridge. When it feels the road's too hard, when the torch we've been passed feels too heavy, we will remember these early travelers and draw strength from their example and hold firmly to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We honor those who walked so we could run. We must run so our children soar and we will not grow weary for we believe in the power of an awesome God and we believe in this country's sacred promise. May he bless those warriors of justice no longer with us and bless the United States of America. Thank you, everybody. And John Lewis is now among those warriors of justice no longer with us. He was there in 2015, though, to witness the remarks of the first African-American U.S. President, Barack Obama, marking the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday on Alabama's Edmund Pettus Bridge. We're recalling the legacy of John Lewis on today's special edition of Peace Talks Radio. I'm Paul Ingalls, and we'll close on a slightly lighter and still very sweet and poignant note. A few days after John Lewis passed on July 17, 2020, at the age of 80, comedian Stephen Colbert, on his late show on CBS, remembered John Lewis and one of his earlier visits to the show. This weekend, we lost a giant. Friend of the show and friend of the America we all aspire to, Congressman John Lewis. John Lewis was a hero. That's a given. Everybody knows that. But we tend to carve our heroes in marble and forget the other sides of them. Like the fact that John Lewis was fun. Take example number one. He wrote a graphic novel about himself, already a baller move. And when he went to Comic-Con in 2015 to promote it, he cosplayed as his younger self and led a march around Comic-Con. Give that man a shield because that's Captain America. But throughout his career fighting for civil rights, Lewis repeatedly put his body on the line as a freedom writer at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Then at the age of 76, crowd surfing the audience at the Ed Sullivan Theater. I'm not the only one who interviewed John Lewis on this show though. So did John Baptiste. What are some things that you could share with me that I can pass on, like some sayings? That, what are some good catchphrases or sayings that you, you, you have embedded in your psyche that you, you well, remember? Well, sometimes you, you said to someone, they said something hostile to me, and you said, you don't believe that. Uh, you really don't believe that. You don't uh, believe that. Uh, well, I mean, you, you, that you, you, your mother didn't teach you that. Um, <laughs> in, in, in 1961, the same year that President Barack Obama was born, black people and white people couldn't be seated together on a Greyhound bus or a trailway bus. And in May of 1961, my seatmate was a young white gentleman. The two of us left Washington, and we arrived at the Greyhound bus station in Rocky Hill, South Carolina. A group from the Klan beat us, left us lying in a, in a pool of blood when we tried to enter this so-called white waiting room. Now this is May 1961. Many years later, to be exact, in February of 09, one member of the clan, one of the guys beat us in his 70s, came to my office in Washington with his son in his 40s. And he said, Mr. Lewis, I'm one of the people that beat you and your seatmate. He said, will you forgive me? Um, I want to apologize. 
Hmm. And the son started crying. He started crying. And I said, I accept your apology. Uh, I forgive you. Uh, they hugged me, I hugged them back, mm. and I started crying. And that's the power of the way of, of peace, the way of love and nonviolent. As Dr. King said, hate is too heavy a burden to bear. Hate is too heavy a burden to bear. Yes. Mm. So we just, love is a better way. So I have all of the people that beat me and arrested me and threw me in jail, I don't have any ill feeling at all, not at all. Mm. I feel free. I feel good, I feel free. Congressman John Lewis, thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, indeed. John Lewis, talking with Late Show band leader John Baptiste in 2016. Our clips today came from C-SPAN, The White House, BillMoyers.com, Time Magazine, and The Late Show on CBS. You can hear this program again or any of the scores of episodes in our Peace Talks radio series and podcast on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution by downloading the podcast from iTunes or from our website, peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can also make a donation to help us continue our nonprofit work. Allie Adelman wrote and performed our theme music. I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio. Mm-hmm.